Well, it was uh, earlier today, our time, that six different women from the Rwanda trip went to uh, speak at six different churches. Marie was at, uh, Marie wasn't originally scheduled to speak uh, today. She was going to give it to one of the other ladies to have an opportunity to speak, but that, that gal was, uh, was sick and was not able to make the trip to Rwanda at all. So uh, as, they're, as they're dividing up where they're going to go, they learned that the, uh, the pastor of the church that Marie was going to, his mother just died. And so it was like, let's send Marie to that church because Steve used to be a chaplain. I don't know. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Pastor's mother dies, chaplain's wife. Marie, you got that church. And so I'm sure Marie and Allison will be coming back with some wonderful stories. Those of you that are on Facebook and have seen some of the pictures and little video clips. Uh, Pretty special. I don't know if Allison is going to try to sneak a, a baby home in her suitcase or what, but some pretty cute pictures of Allison and some of these babies. So, all righty. Well, Lord, we now turn to your word and ask that you would open up our hearts to what you might be speaking today. In our hearts as we open your word. Blessings now in these next moments together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we ended last week's message at verse 11 of 1 John chapter 4, which reads, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's where verse 11 ended. Conclusion was that part of our response to the love of God is that of loving others. In fact, we want to know how we can demonstrate love for God. Well, we demonstrate love for God by loving one another, loving uh, those around us. Our love for others is reflective of our love for God, and to a measure, and to measure the depth of our love for God. You want to know how much you love God? Take out your measuring stick of how much you love other people. That's how much you love God. When we embrace the fact that God loves us, we are compelled to love others. If God forgave us, we are compelled to forgive others. If God showed us mercy, we are compelled to show mercy to others. If God showed us grace, we are compelled to be gracious to others. Because God loves us, we also are to love one another. So that's where we ended last week. And so today we pick up at verse 12 of chapter 4 in the ninth part of our series on the Dear John Letters, the Epistles of the Beloved Disciple. Today I want to read uh, chapter uh, 4 beginning at verse 12 on through the end of that chapter, which is verse 21. 
So right after he says, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another, he says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have the boldness in that day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment that we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So this section starts off with John saying, no one has seen God at any time. This is the exact wording that he uses in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 18. And there, after saying no one has seen God at any time, he goes on to say the only begotten Son, or some of the, uh, some of the ancient manuscripts will say the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. No one has seen God, but the Son has declared him. Jesus came to declare the Father. He interpreted or translated God to mankind in a way that man could understand. See, when, uh, when Maria is speaking, she is translating, or she has a translator so that the congregation can understand what she's saying. As she's, as she's uh, uh, speaking in English, the translator is translating that into the language that the people can understand what Maria is saying. Well, that's kind of what Jesus did. God had been speaking, but Jesus came to translate what God was saying to the people. Jesus demonstrated God, he translated, he interpreted God so that mankind could understand. The Apostle Paul said that in him, Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. So, want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. Jesus looks exactly like God. God looks exactly like Jesus. John is not discounting the visions that people had. People say, well, I saw God in a vision. Well, he... he John's not discounting visions that people have had, um, visions particularly in the Old Testament. We know that some people testify that they've seen God, but you see, God is a spirit. You can't see a spirit. So when, when John says, 
God, no one has seen God at any time. He's understanding that God is a spirit and he doesn't have a physical form that we can see with our, our physical eyes. So therefore he is invisible. But Paul also confirms this in 1 Timothy 6.16 where he says in reference to God whom no man has seen or can see. So he's in, in the same mindset, John is, as Paul was, that we can't see God because God is a, a spirit. But Jesus came to reveal God to us. Even in, uh, even in Revelation, what John saw of God was really only a glimpse only a glimpse of who God is. We see the throne and the one on the throne, but even that is, is not really a clear picture of, of who God is. You see, now, right now, as, as 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, for now we see in a mirror, and it, it, it's dim. It's, you know, we see a reflection, we look in the mirror, uh, it's just a reflection. Uh, if it's dark, we can't really get a good picture. If it's an old mirror where some of the, the silver on the back is coming off, and you just, it, it just doesn't look as clear as it could. Well, Paul says that's how we see things now. In the spiritual realm, we can only see things dimly as if we're looking in a really bad mirror. And so uh, when John when John says no one has seen God at any time, he has the understanding that we only know in part what God has revealed to us. And what he has revealed to us, he's revealed to us in Jesus. So again, you want to know what God looks like? Take a good long look at Jesus. So when John says no one has seen God at any time, he's likely alluding to the false prophets that we we, uh, we talked about uh, uh, last week. Last, was that last week or the week before? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. The spirits of the prophets, those that were giving false teachings, those that were leading people astray. Uh, John is likely alluding to this group of people, of false prophets who claim to have visions of God, thereby receiving special knowledge about God. And John, he's, he's real concerned that people aren't led astray by the false teaching of these people. So he, he's, he's saying, okay, they claim to have these visions of God, and because of the visions, they have great, uh, great understanding of who God is, and they know on a deeper level who God is. But John hits that idea that this group is saying, we have seen God. John hits that idea right between the eyes when he says, no one has seen God. At any time. That statement is true in John's day. That statement is true in our day. Kind of an odd, an odd statement uh, that no one has seen God at any time. Why is that here in the middle of this chapter? It just He's talking about, he's talking about uh, love, loving one another, God being love, God's love being manifested through Jesus. And all of a sudden there's this phrase thrown in there no one has seen God at any time why is that there 
It's there because visions of God are not the test of true spirituality or Christian maturity. Those making those claims of having visions of God, that doesn't mean they're spiritually mature. It doesn't mean that they pass the test of true spirituality because visions of God are not the test. Love for one another is the test. That's why that phrase shows up there in the middle of this chapter. I mean, if you're reading it, that's kind of an odd thing to put right there, but no. It makes sense when you realize that John is telling the people Visions are not the test. Loving one another is the test. That is the evidence that God dwells in us, that his love has been perfected in us. That's it. We see that God has been perfected in us is verse... Which verse is that? 17, love has been perfected among us. So the evidence that God dwells in us and that his love has been perfected in us is not special knowledge, it's not special visions or revelation. How we live out his love to one another. That's, that's the evidence that God is dwelling in us. You see, love originates in God who by his very nature is love. And that love was manifested in Jesus, and that love is then perfected in God's people when it is reproduced through us to others. See the flow of things? God is love. Jesus came to point to that fact, and then we perfect that whole plan of God's love by loving one another. It's a great... It's a great flow there. Uh, what God revealed of himself in the person of Christ is now to be revealed through his children. That's a big job we have. It's our job to show God's love to people. People often first become aware of God's love when they see it demonstrated by those who profess to be followers of Jesus. They don't see God's love when it's preached that God's out to kill you and judge you and, you know, you know there will be a judgment, yes. But people are said you should come to God because he hates your guts and he's going to throw you in a flame of fire if you don't. Who's going to be attracted to a God like that? I'm sure some people are scared into heaven with preaching like that. But to say, you know, God loves you and he's extending your arm, his arms to you. Won't you come to him and let him welcome you to his family? That's, that's a lot more appealing, I would think. I mean, if, you're, if your children maybe have done something wrong and you say, if, <laughs> say, come to dad. Let's, let's Let's talk about this. Come on, Dad loves you. Come on. 
they're going to be a lot quicker to come to dad that's like that. Get over here right now. I'm going to tan your hide. Boy, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. Well, the kid isn't going to be real excited about going to see dad if he's going to get his hide beat off of his body. It's the same idea with God. Knowing that God loves you and is welcoming you with open arms, that has a lot more appeal than trying to attract people to God by telling people how much he is mad at you. God's not mad at you. Jesus is proof of that. We demonstrate the love of God and that attracts people to him. So when we live out that message of the love of God, that pricks people's interest. Their hearts, their interest is pricked by a God who loves them then they are better able to see the love of God as demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ if they see it lived in us. Man, I see see clips on uh, social media. Some of these preachers, they're just... I tell you, some people make better Pharisees than they do followers of Jesus. We don't need any more Pharisees in this world. We need followers of Jesus who demonstrate his love to a lost and dying world. So when people's hearts and interests are pricked by God and they can see the love of Jesus that demonstrates the love of God, It's at this point that the love of God is perfected or reaches its fulfillment on earth through us. The world waits for the knowledge of God which only comes through his revelation and the love of his children. That's how people come to know the love of God is because we show them the love of God. In verses 13 through 16, John reiterates some things that he said earlier in this letter. Verse 13, he says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So John says this back in chapter 3, verse 24, By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit. He has given us. As Paul said in Romans 8, 16, God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You see, when we are abiding in God and God is abiding in us, his Holy Spirit bears witness that we are his children. It's that inner inner working of God's spirit that, that speaks to us and confirms to us that we are right with God. 
Christ's sacrifice, the assurance of God's word, and the inner witness of the Spirit all work together to give us the assurance that we are, in fact, children of God. Verses 14 and 15, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Again, we see this back in chapter 2, verse 2, that he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but also for the whole world. That word propitiation means satisfaction. It's the sacrifice of Christ that satisfies anything that God demanded for our forgiveness. The sacrifice of Christ is sufficient, not just for us, but for the whole world. Sufficient for every tribe, sufficient for every nation, sufficient for every tongue of every generation. There was a, there was a question asked on the Assemblies of God theology page on Facebook. And it was something like, why did Jesus die? Why didn't God just kill Satan? And if all this is caused by Satan, all the sin and all the darkness in this world is caused by Satan, why, why didn't God just kill Satan instead of sending Jesus? Easiest question in the world because sacrifice demands a perfect offering. <laughs> Satan, of course, is by no means perfect, but Jesus was and is the perfect sacrificial lamb for all ages, for all people. And because his sacrifice was sufficient for the whole world. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever. Whoever. Whether they're here in America, whether they're in Rwanda, whether they're in Europe, whether they're in South America, whether they're on the island of Australia, China, India, any place. God's sacrifice in Jesus is sufficient. Is sufficient that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Male or female, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile, young or old, slave or free, Democrat or Republican, black or white or red or yellow or brown, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. In verse 15 of our, of our text, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. I like that whoever, that whoever word, because it doesn't matter. Whoever can come. Yeah, but I did this. That's okay. Are you a whoever? Well, yeah. Well, you can come. Well, I, I live here. Can I come? Yes, whoever. Are you in the whoever? Yeah, well, you can come. Whoever can come to Jesus. 
they call upon the name of the Lord and confess that Jesus is the Son of God. God abides in him. That great confession of, of Peter. Jesus was asking, who do people say that I am? Well, you're one of the prophets, or you're John the Baptist, back from the dead. Uh, uh, and then Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? Peter spoke up, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, well, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. But that was revealed to you by God. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. In verse 16, and we have known and believed the love of God, the love that God has for us. God is love. There's that little phrase again that we saw that, that we saw back uh, last week, that God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God. You want to abide in God? Abide in love and God in him. Notice the sequence here. We come to know and believe, or, you know, believe means to really rely on, to, to really trust. It's not just a mental acknowledgement of God, but to believe means to, to fully trust. So we come to know and fully trust on the love that the love of God, that the love of God has for us. And through relying on his love, we come to realize that God is love. We discover that to live in God is to live in love. See, this is a progression here. And when this happens, and we come to understand that the fellowship we have with the Father and the Son is the fellowship in which God lives in us and we in him, it is a fellowship of love. Our relationship with God is a relationship of love. The fellowship and relationship we have with one another is a fellowship and relationship of love. Verses 17 through 19. Love dispels fear. When God's love is perfected in us, we can have boldness or confidence in the day of judgment. You know, I really, I'm really not looking forward to going uh, before the judgment seat of God. You see, but if you're loving and you're abiding in God and God's abiding in you, you can have the confidence and the boldness. Of course, when you see God, you're going to be on your face and worship. You're, you're, uh, but you'll still have that boldness approach the throne because you know that you have been cleansed, that you have been given the victory and that you are in his love and so you don't have to be afraid, you don't have to be ashamed of approaching God in that day. You can have the boldness in the day of judgment. There'll be no shame, no fear when we stand before God. This fear is the same as when we talk about having an awe and reverence to God, that we would have that awe and reverence when we truly embrace his love for us. But we will not have to be afraid.
afraid of him on that day of judgment. When we live in love, we live as he lived. We live as Jesus lived. See, Jesus demonstrated the Father's love, and we demonstrate the Father's love. Jesus is the light of the world, and then he tells us that we are the light of the world. Jesus came preaching the kingdom, and we go forth preaching and representing the kingdom. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. See, as Jesus lived, we are to live. As Jesus came representing the kingdom of God, he sends us out to represent the kingdom of God. When we live in the love of God, fear, which is the opposite of this boldness and confidence that I mentioned a minute ago, that is thrown out. It is cast away. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear and love are incompatible. You see, fear, as it says, has to do with torment, has to do with punishment. When we fear, we believe that we deserve punishment. And here we're speaking of fearing God. If we, if we fear God, we believe that we are somehow deserving of punishment. And we are, but thankfully, Jesus took that punishment for us. God's perfect love reassures us that provision has been made for us to be saved in the day of judgment and not punished in the day of judgment. Perfect love casts out that fear because our relationship with God isn't based on being afraid of him. Our relationship with God is based on loving him and him loving us. If we fear, it shows us that we have not yet been perfected in his love. In verse 19, we're reminded once again that God took the initiative and loved us first. Everyone who comes to God comes to him because he loved us first. It was his idea. We didn't think up this idea that I've got this great idea. I'm going to love God and he's going to respond to me in love. No, you got it backwards. He's already loved you. Now you respond to his love. We love him because he first loved us. Our love for him, our love for others is our response to his love for us. And then in verses 20 and 21, we have kind of a rhetorical question. He asks, and I don't necessarily know that it needed to be answered, but he says, okay, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? I see Eric here. I see him. And if I don't love him, but yet profess to love God, the question is, that, how can you love God? You haven't even seen him. 
but yet you don't love Eric, who you do see. How can, how can that be? And of course, the answer that didn't need to be put in print is, well, you can't. You can't love the person who, you can't not love the person who you do see and still profess the love for God whom you haven't seen. So this question is a challenge to his readers. The answer to that question is, you can't. If John says, John says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. He's used that phrase, he is a liar, a few other times in this letter. We've seen John call other categories of people liars in this, uh, in this letter. In verse 8 of chapter 1, he says, those who say they have not sinned, Actually, these actually make God to be a liar because God says you have sinned. In verse 4 of chapter 2, those who claim to know God but aren't obedient to his commandments, John calls them liars. And in chapter 2, verse 22, those who deny that Jesus is the Christ is a liar. And then here, he adds to that list, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. May we be the people of truth, people of truth and lived honestly before God. All of us, we are to be people of truth and live honestly before God, especially when it comes to the things of God. Earlier I referred to John chapter 4, verse 22, where Jesus, he's talking to the Samaritan woman, and, and he, he tells the Samaritan woman, God is spirit. That's why no one has seen God at any time, because God is spirit. That's what Jesus told the, the Samaritan woman. But that, goes, that verse goes on to say, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So worshiping God in truth is really agreeing with God. When we agree with God, we can worship him in truth. If we have a conflict with God and we don't agree with God on certain things, we can't worship him in truth. But Jesus says those who worship God must worship in spirit or from the spirit and in truth. And then this this section, verse 21, closes with these words. And this is the commandment that we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. As we've seen a number of times already in this letter, love is a command, not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's a command. When we obey that command, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Amen. We're going to close with a song that's uh, no longer slaves, but there's that... that uh, 
There's that line in there. Um, Well, they'll sing it, you'll find. You'll, you'll see where the, the lines come out that kind of come out of the uh, text for today. There, my fears were drowned in perfect love. Perfect love casts out fear. The song words it that my fears were drowned in perfect love. And so, and then we're reminded also that we are children of God. So let's stand, let's sing this as our, our, clo our closing song. Mm -hmm.